Hi, everybody, and welcome to Paul Listnick Behind the Curtain here on WGNRadio.com. It's my chance to step away from the worlds of politics and law you see me cover every day on WGN-TV. And usually I enter the world of theater and the arts on this podcast. But today we're doing something a little different and maybe more special than anything we've done in a very long time. Because today is one of the final exit interviews for the GOAT of meteorology, not only in this country, but as far as I'm concerned on the planet. Joining me is the great and legendary Tom Skilling. Tom, thank you for your time. Of course, soon you'll have nothing to do but talk to me. I know. I, I'm telling you, and I, you know, Paul, there's something almost funereal in the way you say that. I, you know, I, <laughs> I keep that. We talk about this uh, retirement thing, which I've never done before. Uh, most of us only do it once. Um, and I, I think, my God, you know, I feel like saying they're not going to put me in a box and six feet under it just yet. <laughs> I don't think anyway. But, Paul, it is great to talk to you. Yeah, and I want you to know, I usually don't dress casual for these things. I hope the camera will show But I'm actually wearing my Tom Freaking Skilling T-shirt. Oh, my word. I'm telling you. autographed. So I hope I have only one of the very few autographed Skilling T-shirts. <laughs> you know, Paul, they walked into me a couple of years ago, they being uh, the folks up in Creative Services, and said, look, there's a company that will put your face on a Snuggie. And I said, <laughs> why would anybody want to buy any piece of clothing with my face on it? But uh, And now my name on it, I uh, this is something. This is something they came up with just uh, recently. So I'm flattered, Paul. If there's anybody I would be impressed by wearing a T-shirt with my name on it. It's you. So thank you very well, much. I will. And by the way, I don't know if you caught my show this past weekend, but I did a tribute to you at the end of the show. So just so I, you know, I did that. I'm going to have to do that. I, You know, it's been so nutty. I've had reporters in each weekend. I tell them, look, the weekends are the best time to do it because uh, uh, the phone won't be ringing and I won't have any deadline that I'm facing. So I've been doing that. I'm going to have to catch that. Uh, I'm glad you gave me a heads up on that. That's wonderful. I'm flattered. You got it. It'll be up. Also, uh, two other things I want to say. Number one, I want to try. I tried to put together an interview. You've been doing so many you know, interviews that I didn't want to walk through everything you've been talking about. I'm going to do my best to ask you questions you have not been asked before. Well, Paul, fire away, and I'll, okay. and I'll do my best to answer them for you. Well, I have to start with the most important question. Yeah. Why the heck is Too Shy by Kajagugu your favorite song? Because we had to learn that, as you know, for your tribute at the Music I Box know. Theater. I had to take the lead. I couldn't hear the music. And I said to them ahead of time, he likes Streisand. Let's do Evergreen. And they said, no, this is his favorite song. I love Streisand. I, you know, actually, Paul, I've got a lot of favorite songs. I love Barbara. I'll tell you, I've seen her in concert here twice. I think she's just amazing. I, I listen to that voice, and I think, my God, where did that come from? It had to be, uh, you know, there had to be some divine intervention there to produce a, a, a singer like that. Um, and Gajagugu, yeah, I do like that. You know, um, <laughs> but I love a lot of things. And, you know, it's something, Paul, I get emotional about a lot of things. I cry at solar eclipses, at movies. It's funny, my roommate, Sean, and I will go to a movie, and he brings along a, a box of tissues and hands it to me at the appropriate places at movies. And and I think, my God, he's got me figured out. Um, but uh, I love James Taylor. I, you know, every time I hear Fire and Rain, and I think about the background of that song, what led to that. Uh, so had I, had I done a Streisand number, you would have been fine with that. Oh, I Barbara Streisand. I love I love her work. Uh, she is just stunning. Uh, she's all over my podcast and uh, my pod iPod. 
and uh, it, it's amazing. But I love Motown. I love R and B. Gosh, there are even some country songs I get into, uh, and I'm not basically a country music uh, expert. But I, I'll tell you, isn't music something? You know, music was once described to me, and I think this is so appropriate as the art form which scratches an itch that you can reach in no other way. And I thought, isn't that the truth? Yeah. You, you yeah. listen to a song, it takes you back to places in your life that you've been before. And uh, it does, it touches, it reaches into your soul in places that no other art form does. Well, I hope Kaja Gugu did that for you. As that was good. And by the way, I, Paul, I think you have a new, if you ever decide to go into music, Having seen your your presentation at the Music Box <laughs> last week on the morning show, uh, I was very impressed. Among your many myriad talents, um, music is one of them, and I know you love theater and you know theater. So um, it was very flattering to have you there and do a musical number for me. Thank you. Well, thank you. And again, I'm going to ask you things you don't know. Hey, by the way, I don't. I'm sure you're a Seinfeld fan, and Britt, maybe you remember the episode of Seinfeld where George quits and then because he didn't mean to quit he just shows up the next monday morning like he didn't do anything you know there's some people thinking that you know on your final day that the next morning you're just gonna walk in like you didn't ever say you were leaving you know it's funny um i pondered this for a long time this <laughs> is not a decision you reach easily and i've worked ever since i was a teenager and i've loved weather my entire life i used to have paper routes and save money to buy weather equipment so i looked through these weather cat instrument catalogs and realized i never could afford it with my two and three and four dollar a week paper route i even wanted to put a radar in my bedroom uh and and was stupid enough to think that maybe that was possible even with a three dollar a week paper route but um i'm telling you you know i tell young people go through our office be too dumb to know you aren't supposed to be able to do what you want and go for it give it a try you never know where it may lead uh so yeah well, I, you know, listen, I was almost an accountant and went to a counselor in school and, and she said, what are you going to be? I said, an accountant. She goes, why? I said, because I got to get have a job. And she said, I don't respect that. So yeah. I ended up where I am because like you, I just said, no, if I have a passion, I got to go for it. Absolutely. You know, we spend too many um, hours and days and weeks and months of our lives working. Why not do something you love if there's any chance you can do it? And Paul, haven't we been lucky? I mean, we're we're among those... I fear a handful of people who have actually pursued careers in areas that we love and toward which we're passionate. And you are definitely one of those people when it comes to politics and law and all the rest. And I, and I feel the same way toward meteorology. I mean, I just marvel at what what has happened in our science in the yeah. half century I've been doing it. Well, and as you know, everybody that would be on my show and come into the studio, I mean, when I had a nighttime show, it was always a, can I meet Tom Skilling? And oh, I don't have to look at the weather service and, oh, congresswomen, congressmen, congresswomen, everybody just wanted to meet you. And it was like, you know, and the wonderful thing about you is you brought your guests through and they've, they, uh, JB's been in there, our governor, uh, who I love, uh, Jan Schakowsky, uh, she books, we hug each other when they're in the interview yeah. with you and you're so kind and bringing people by because I so admire these folks. Uh, we need uh, good people representing us and never more so than in this world today. And I know it's about key issues. I'll talk to you about that. But I do want to ask you this. And I, again, trying to do things maybe people haven't asked you. I'm sure you saw both Chicago major newspapers this weekend, uh, yeah. which had long tributes to you. I teared up a little bit when I saw the cover of the Sun-Times, which said, um, mostly sunny with a chance of tears and um, just so touching. But here's the question about that. 
Did you know, Tom, I mean, I know it was a difficult decision to make, but now be honest with me. Did you expect that it would trigger the kinds of reaction and tributes that it has? Or did you did you think you actually could relatively go quietly into the sunset? Well, you know, that's what I asked the bosses. I said, you know, is there any way I could just sign off and quietly go off into the sunset? And I met it. And they said, well, that's not going to happen. And, <laughs> um, you know something, Paul, I am. I'm blown away by what the reaction of this. I never in my wildest dreams, I don't think I thought about it that much, thought anybody would give a darn uh, when I decided to hang it up. Um, and you know, Paul, I'm not hanging it up. I um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in uncharted territory here, but I love meteorology. I'm as passionate about it today as I was when I was a little kid and loved this subject, maybe more so, because I know more about it. And we're able to so much more accurately and completely follow it, uh, the tools that we have at our disposal. You know, if I had a dime for every time somebody said, boy, do I wish I had a job where I could be wrong every night and keep my, you know, this employed. <laughs> and, you know, Paul, that's not at all. If they think, uh, if anybody thinks we go to work every day in our line of work and think, boy, we're going to pull a, a quick one on them, uh, they're crazy because you never sit down with anything less than 100% accuracy as your goal. But what's been amazing in the last 50 years is to watch how uh, this profession has advanced. You know, I went to school at the University of Wisconsin, the birthplace of satellite meteorology. I sat in classrooms and watched in real time landfalling hurricanes as viewed from space. And I thought, this is amazing. We had never seen anything like that up to that point. Um, or thunderstorm complexes blow yeah. up. And the modeling that's done. Do you know next year, Argonne Labs will put a computer online that will do 2 billion billion operations per second. The, the computers that crunch our, uh, that perform our and, and produce our computer models do quadrillion mathematical operations per second. They're the fastest machines in the world because it's, uh, you know, models of the atmosphere are the, among the most complex that are run. And uh, so it's been amazing to watch this yeah. happen. And we really have a fighting chance of understanding and conceptualizing how the atmosphere is going to lay out in the days uh, ahead of us. Well, and I, I think that, I mean, everybody does understand your passion for all this. It's one of the things they admire. But just to follow up kind of on that question a little bit. Well, first of all, let me see if I can get a yes or no. Did you expect the tributes and the paper and everything no. else? Did you say, yes, I thought that could happen? Or you say, no, it, is it exceeded your expectations? Oh, no, I, I never expected this. Uh, this this is uh, quite quite surprising. You know, Paul, then, I went to work in my early career. I figured that I was, you know, I might be fired. You know, we always in our line of work in this broadcast profession, this dog eat dog business we're in, it's very competitive. You always hear the horror stories about the person who goes to work and all their possessions are in their, um, in the hallway and the office uh, in which they had worked for years is locked suddenly and their pass key doesn't work. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I think I always feared something like that was going to happen. But um, somehow, you know, here I turned 72 this week, 72 years old. And I look back and I thought, my God, I somehow snuck through all this and that never happened. Um, it is kind of amazing to me. So to see the, uh, the interest in my, uh, uh, my leaving and retiring um, is, is quite surprising to me. So here's a tougher follow up. Lots of people retire from the media, Tom, who are well-known figures. I'll say no names, but there are people who retire after 30 years in business, 40 years. I mean, it happens. News people, weather people, sure. they all sure. retire. I don't think either of us have ever seen a reaction 
like this. I mean, you were, the Washington Post covered your retirement. So my question is, is I mean, is it the climate change work that you do? What is it about? And this is a tough question. Why did Tom Skilling's retirement trigger this kind of reaction, unlike we've seen for other major beloved media figures in the area? I, it, it's fascinating to me. You know, I used to visit John Coleman after after our respective 10 o'clock shows. We'd get together. I went in high school. I visited Harry Volkman. These people meant a lot to me, and, and talking to them had quite an influence. But I remember John Coleman one time saying, you need a shtick in this business. And I thought to myself. Like Harry's boutonniere. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have trouble with this business because I don't have a shtick. Uh, and I don't know what I thought a shtick was. I guess I thought it <laughs> was being funny or having a boot in the air or something. And I, I couldn't figure out what set me aside. I think in retrospect, what happened was, you know, I scared the news consultants to death. They used to, they said somebody talking about a jet stream and upper air. Nobody understands that. All they want to know is what the temperature is going to be and what the, you know, what the weather is going to be. And I thought, no, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think people are interested in the weather. I mean, we, we follow investigative reports because we're interested in uh, probing behind the scenes and finding out how things in our world happen. I thought, isn't it natural that something like the weather that affects all of us to some degree every day, um, uh, wouldn't there be an interest in how it's coming together? So I'll tell you, it was, I always found it fascinating to see what nature was going to do. And I always thought the computer models helped us think more logically about how the weather is going to unfold and, and to conceptualize all this. And, you know, I got into that and, it, you know, early on people would look at it and say, all oh, those maps and all, I, you know, I don't understand. But I think, Paul, what may have happened, and this is the way I put it together, um, is people watched and said, gee, I don't know why he's getting so excited about all this, but he seems excited by it. So let's go along <laughs> for the ride and see where this goes, you know? And uh, so I think people follow it and they, and uh, you know, to a certain extent, they've, they figured out, Hey, that is kind of interesting. You know, I mean, it, it really is kind of wild. And we are in a world where we talk about things like climate change and all there is, people who don't buy into that at this point, which amazes me. It's like questioning vaccinations working. I, I remember as a little kid, we saw people walk in wheelchairs that had suffered the effects of the ill effects of polio. And when those little sugar cubes came out and we had a chance to take that with the yeah. uh, vaccine in it, we were amazed and impressed by that and thought, isn't it incredible that science has given us some way to attack this horrible disease that's that's uh, maiming and incapacitating people. And uh, so I'm, I'm always surprised that people question modern vaccinations. They don't remember, I guess, people in wheelchairs with polio. And, yeah. and well, I, I remember that both my parents had polio. So I, I and I was born wow. after they had it. So I, I'm one that that understands that uh, yeah. in a big way. Uh, did your parents think you were strange? I mean, you know, a lot of little kids say I want to be a doctor or I yeah. be a lawyer. And those who say I want to be an actor, they say, no, please go yeah. be a doctor or a lawyer. But if you told your parents early on, I want to be a if you said meteorologist, did they say, Tom, we need to get you some counseling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my parents would have preferred a doctor or a lawyer because they, they and, you know, like all parents, uh, they figured, well, you know, these are secure professions. And you could probably talk to that, Paul, you know, in the co competition and in, in, in the legal world. Uh, it, it must be do as dog eat dog as any other profession. But uh, 
I'll tell you something. Um, yeah, they they couldn't. And really, when you looked at our family, nobody had any connection with meteorology and all. You know, I don't know where that came from. I I tell people that there was a psychic who once told me you were a ship captain in a previous life. And this is where your interest in the weather came from, because I can't point to, you know, some people point to a particular storm that got yeah. them interested in the weather. Uh, it wasn't like that. I was just interested in the whole thing uh, from the time ever since I can remember. And I've, I've had the, the, the great fortune of, of being able to uh, turn this into a career and to follow this as a career. Um, but you know what's my parents figured out that, well, crazy as he is, this seems to be what he wants to do. My parents supported me to no end. Uh, I remember in fifth grade, my dad, my birthday present was a letter that my carbon copy, because he used carbon paper back in those days. My dad was a mechanical engineer. He sold valves, industrial valves to power plants and water treatment facilities. And uh, we lived for a while in uh, New Jersey and my dad did the commute into New York every day. And for my fifth birthday present, we were living out there. He brought me a carbon copy of the letter he had written to the, uh, the head of the Weather Bureau office. It was then the Weather Bureau. It hadn't been renamed the National Weather Service out at Rockefeller Center in New York. And he said, look, my son is interested in the weather. Could we come in and visit your office? And we brought my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Thompson, uh, in with us. I don't know why my dad thought to inv invite my teacher, but it was marvelous. <laughs> I love Mrs. Thompson. Mrs. Thompson traveled the world. She never married. Was she a science, a science teacher? Uh, no, she was just my general fifth grade teacher. And she would show us pictures of the Taj Mahal and of Hawaii. And she would talk about how they were building a house back in the 1930s when the Dust Bowl hit. And this, um, they needed uh, wallboard, and there was something about producing wallboard in the, the Dust Bowl years that couldn't be done. And she would talk about that. And she would talk about how when she went to Hawaii, she couldn't get over uh, something like avocados, which were unique and, and uh, <laughs> scarce. They were being fed to the pigs out there. And she thought, isn't that something? And I remember her showing us the Taj Mahal. Oh, it was so beautiful. And so she was the one who came with me to the United States Weather Bureau office in Rockefeller Center, was on the second floor of the building that housed NBC's corporate studios. That's where I first saw color television oh. in the NBC control room. I was in the Indian Guides, uh, and it was kind of like a YMCA group. And one of the guys, uh, one of the parents worked for RCA, who owned NBC at the time, and they got us all in for... Um, a tour of the NBC studios. We saw Sherry Lewis's uh, studio with Lamb Chop and Mr. Science and all, and oh, and these big TK44 color cameras, and they had to floodlight the studio for color TV to work. And, you know, you always thought anybody who had color TV, they were rich, you know? I mean, we, yeah. Yeah. You, you waited till the prices came down so you could afford color TV. But, um, well, can so, I tell you, my, my brother and I, as little kids, we used to, we didn't have a color TV. We went over to Old Orchard Shopping Center. We lived across the street and we would go into Montgomery Wards where they had a television department sure. on Friday nights and we would get candy from Walgreens and sit down on the floor of Montgomery Wards and they let us just watch the color TV. Color TV. Yeah. yeah, we were amazed at that. I, I get a kick. I see WMAQ uh, running these uh, intro videos where they said the following color is, you know, following yeah. programs. We'll be, in pro we'll be in full color, color. Yeah, right. Remember that? Yeah. And, and 
when you watched it on black and white television, you thought, wow, I wonder what this looks like in color so I can picture you sitting at Montgomery Wards. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were all fascinated by the yeah. notion they could actually transmit pictures in color. It yeah. was. You could have been a television repairman. Oh, no. No, I'll tell you, when it comes, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm great at reading the information off these devices, computers and television sets and all, but fixing them, I haven't, <laughs> I have no aptitude toward that at all. I, well, so I, uh, it's I beautiful that, that, that's a great, I've never heard you tell that story about your dad before, so maybe we, maybe we, that was a, a relative first, but what if your parents hadn't been supportive and they had pushed you? Would you have said, I'm doing this? Would you have stood up to them oh, yeah. or would you have gone in a direction they wanted you to go? No, it, it, Paul, it would have happened. I, I mean, the passion was there. Do you know, I remember I was coming into Chicago with my mother. I was a young youngster at the time. We were going to a doctor's appointment. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get her into the federal building to the Weather Bureau office. And when she <laughs> sees the maps on the wall and hears the teletypes, get it. All, this will convince her that this <laughs> choice of meteorology as a career is is the right one. So we went in and the people in the office were marvelous, kind, took us through and showed us. And so I thought, well, uh, leaving the building, I said, what do you think, mom? That's pretty cool, don't you think? And she said, if you work in an office like that, I'll die a thousand deaths. And I I thought it had worked. Well, why do you hear this one, Paul? So then one other trip in, you know, you could go uh, to the viewing room at WLS Radio. You know, they had a room where you could watch Larry Lujak and all the disc jockeys there. Uh So we, I said, Mom, come on, let's go to the radio station and, and uh, watch what they're doing there uh, from the viewing room. So we went there, and the fellow was on the air was Joel Sebastian. Beautiful. I remember Joel Sebastian. Was, remember that? I, yeah. I, he had a beautiful voice. And he later worked at WGN years later as one of our announcers. But he was on the air, and he's there listening to the music and cueing the engineer for the jingles and the songs. And I'm in seventh heaven. I think this is, like, magical to watch this whole thing. So we got done watching and we get onto the elevator and who should get onto the elevator but Joel Sebastian. And my mother looks at him and says, now, is that all you do all day? You just wiggle to that music and, and all the rest? <laughs> and I, I was horrified. I felt like saying, mom, this is one of the giants in, 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 in rock radio. Uh, what are you doing? And uh, so he looked at my mother after she had said, is this all you do all day? Just sit there and wiggle to that music? And he said, he said, yes, ma'am. He said, that's about it. Uh, and I thought, <laughs> and years later, I said, no, Joel, do you remember when this woman and her son got on the elevator and you were asked whether all you did all day long as a disc jockey was wiggle and, and point cue the engineer, uh, point to the engineer? He didn't remember that, but I was, I was. You did. Horrified. Yeah, I was. But I love it. Which yeah. uh, I want to ask a couple of lightning questions, things that I don't think people ask you. So let's see if you can answer them. Yeah. Is there anywhere in the world you haven't been and do you plan to go there? Like, you know, are you a North South Pole guy? Oh, I would love to go. I, you know, I've been up, going up to Alaska. I've gone over to the right. Maldives, wanted to see an island chain that was threatened by climate change off the Indian coast. Um, I'd love to see Antarctica at some point. But do you know something, Paul? I'll tell you, I'm kind of a homebody. I like to know what the bed I sleep in feels like. And that's why having these little places in Alaska and Hawaii, I'm very content. I go out there. I want to explore. I want to learn more about Hawaii. Uh, I'm just learning that. Alaska, I've been exploring for decades. I, I find it absolutely fascinating. I flew with a guide up to the Brooks Range, which is really, I mean, you're in, you know, you're out in the boonies uh, out there. Uh, there's nobody around. 
And I spent a week with a, uh, a guide who, and he had a little two-seater airplane, and we flew from point to point all through the Northern Brooks Ranch in far northern Alaska, and that was fascinating. But you know, and we're, I've been over to London, I've been to the UK Met Office in Essex, London, been to Scotland and Ireland and places like, and through Europe uh, with a URL pass. And uh, Well, that's why I asked, like, now that you have the chance, where would you go if you haven't been there? You know what I'm looking forward to is going up to Alaska and Hawaii and spending time, not going for a week and, and thinking, oh, I've got to get back. And you know something else? I was thinking... I've been going to Hawaii, and every time I go out there, a blizzard or something hits here, and yeah. I'm thinking, what am Don't I go. doing here? I ought to be back home covering this uh, meteorological debacle. That's, and I would call the news director and say, should I come home? And he'd say, uh, come back to work. And he'd say, no, no, you rest and relax. But I never rested and relaxed. I never could shed the guilt of being somewhere. And I realized now for the first time in my life, I'm going to go on vacation somewhere and not feel guilty if there's a storm back home. Oh, you uh, will anyway. <laughs> I probably will. You know, I hope maybe that'll abate a little bit. And by the way, let me make it public. We've said it before, but I take the blame or responsibility of you falling in love with Hawaii. I know. I know. And Dole Whip. Uh, and Dole know, Whip. The Dole Whip. This is a, uh, well, how would you describe it? It's like an ice. Uh, uh, well, like, it's like a Mr. Softy, but it's, it's yes. fruit flavors. I Pretend it's healthy for us. Yeah, it's like a it's like a, a low cal, relatively speaking, smoothie yeah. um, and uh, flavored ice. Right, and Paul. Well, it's not ice. It comes out as soft serve. It's like those Mister Softies. Yeah, and I'm I had never had that before. And you said to me, check on Dole Whip when you're out there. And <laughs> my God, how that hasn't caught on in this country in the lower forty eight. Big time because it's relatively low in calories. It's delicious. But you know, now yeah. they're here. They sell them in Dixie cup form. So you can go to your various grocery stores and find <laughs> no. them there now. Yeah, they're not yeah. as good. They're not as good, but they're there. But uh, Mr. So, Lesnick, you did. You are responsible for that. <laughs> I'll tell you, no question I, about it. And happy about it. So what? maybe it's the same answer, but I was going to ask you, what is your guilty pleasure? Oh, boy. Guilty pleasure. Gosh, I don't know. Um the thing you shouldn't do no, or shouldn't I, eat, but you do. It's, this will be disappointing. I love hearing the ocean, just laying in bed at night and hearing the waves. Um, from the time I was a little boy, I used to go to the New Jersey shore when we lived out there. And that's what you did in the summer out there. We went with an army shovel and a couple of rafts, and you built sand forts all day at low tide. And then you'd fight the tide coming in that was take, eating away at your sandcastle, and you believed that you were on the front line of fighting nature and all the rest. <laughs> but, you know, I'd look out on the ocean, and I'd listen to the waves and watch them crash. And I thought, you know, these have crashed on these shores since the beginning of time, and they're going to be crashing here after all of us are back as dust in the soil. Um, and there was something intriguing to me about that. You know, we, our species sprung from the primordial oceans. I mean, uh, the blood salt content of our blood is apparently believed to be roughly the same percentage as the salt content of the early oceans when we wow. crawled out of them as life. So I, I think we have a very intimate connection with uh, water. I, that I explains love a lot. That explains some people, doesn't it, when you think about it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, think about it. We're bags of water. I, I, what are we, 60% water? You know, you take the water out of us, there isn't a heck of a lot. I water. thought it was, I think it's like 90%. I thought it was higher too. Somebody told me recently it was 60%. I don't know what it is. The well, we go is, with what you say. Yeah, so, well, 
I don't know that that's that's a new number for me too. I always right. thought ninety percent as well, Paul. Yeah. I, now I've got to research that. I shouldn't have said it before. No, that, don't worry about that. We'll edit this. So, okay. and uh, here's another question you've never been asked. Technology aside, all right. So, I because you'll you'll say today because I know you love technology. But if you could live in any era, the eighteen hundreds, that where what era would you live? Would you live in colonial oh. times? When would you live? I'd be right now. I I've watched things happen. I could only dream about in my profession. Uh, I mean, it is. It, this has been a fascinating time. I tell our interns, please make note of what you're seeing going on around you because. Uh, you're living through one of the most exciting eras in meteorology. And it will be interesting to see where we go. Although, you know, when I look at the, the way the world's changing, I I thought we would be farther along. I, I've been disappointed at the, the turn we've taken uh, in so many areas recently. Seems like we're going backwards. I mean, when we question vaccinations and stuff like that, I don't get it. I mean, I it seems to me these are gifts of science that we should be cherishing and happy about because it might be saving our lives. And um, uh, so I wonder where we're going to go. You know, and so the people who say that climate change is not, you know, and we've heard, um, let's not get political with it, but, you know, people yeah. who sort of say it's, it's so little, so whatever, we're, we're, we're thousands of years away from it affecting anybody. Um, oh. is that, have, have we turned a corner? Is it, are, is it salvageable still? Oh, I, th- I think we can slow it down. I, I'll tell you, we're going to have to do a lot of adaption. Uh, you know, when you produce like carbon dioxide, it's essentially there forever. I mean, and that's a heat retaining and re-radiating gas. So in other words, if we stop tomorrow driving cars that burn fossil fuels or running uh, burning fossil fuels, um, the warming would go on because the CO2 we put in the air and that's already in the pipeline is there. So the warming will continue. What we can do at this point is slow it and uh, and then adapt to it because we're going to have to adapt to rising sea level. There are population centers that are going to have to worry about going underwater. And uh, that's Are we going to lose the polar bears and things like that? Well, I I don't know about the polar bears. Uh, I read what you've read, Paul, and what we all read. I'm not an expert in that, but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, We are going to lose coastline and uh, and, uh, island chains and things like that because it's unavoidable. We've got a level of carbon dioxide in the air we haven't had for 3 million years. Humans have only walked this planet about 300,000 years. The planet's about four and a half billion years old. So we, in geologic terms, are a relatively recent phenomenon. Uh, and these people say, ah, we've always gone through climate change and we survived it. They are clearly not informed on what climate change has done uh, to humans uh, and civilization in the past. I mean, the, the whole uh, Aztec uh, civilization perished at the high, you know, because of drought in Central America. Um, you know, look at the Dust Bowl years. That was a climate shift. People moved out there thinking they were going to farm. The climate change, we had a Dust Bowl. I mean, millions lost their livelihoods and everything else. Climate change is, is, has the imp- incredible impact on us. And uh, a lot of people say the migration, look at that. They've got terrible drought going in Central America right now. The the uh, Panama Canal is so low, we can't put the the cargo through it that we normally have. Uh, and so some of this migration up toward the southern border, there's a climate change component to that. And the instability of the governments and the regions that these people are leaving, hoping for a better life up here. So um, we we've got a lot of impacts uh, potentially coming down the pike and and, and that's probably one of the things you will continue to do, retired or not, which is to spread that message and continue yeah. to study and work in that. 
Yeah, and and by the way, uh, not to be all uh, you know uh, depressing about it, there's some amazing stuff going on. Argon Laboratories right here in our area, uh, their major thrust is at decarbonizing our transportation sector. They're looking for cleaner aviation fuels, less polluting fuels. We'll never produce energy uh, without some impact. It just is, goes with the territory. But yeah. the idea is to try and reduce the impact. They're working on new batteries, domestic sources for the materials from which batteries are made so we don't have to depend on China or other right. uh, foreign sources for this. Uh, trying to cut down on the amount of uh, nuclear waste that we get using nuclear energy. Fusion, obviously, is something that's being worked on. And so many directions. So with about five minutes, I still have some things I just want to ask you that nobody's yeah. asked you. Yeah. Is there anybody you have not met that you would like to meet? Oh, gosh. Paul, there are all kinds of people, I suppose. I, I, I'll tell you, one of the most interesting people I've met was uh, James Hansen who was the NASA scientist. I had a chance to introduce him and spend a day with him out at Benedictine University. He was the NASA scientist who sat before Congress in the 1980s and first laid out where climate change is going. And by the way, we knew this planet was going to warm as early as the early 1800s. We knew about it before the Civil War. This is not Mm. new thinking. Uh, And this notion that scientists have thought we were going toward an ice age and have changed their mind is nonsense. The science and the profession, when you look at the scientific papers, um, has always known that uh, putting heat-retaining gases in the air is going to warm us up. There were a couple of news magazine articles that cited outlier the, the climate scientists who said, oh, we're going toward an ice age in the 70s. That was not the consensus opinion at the time. Well, let me let me just ask you, I'm sorry to cut, but like if you had the opportunity, if they came to you and said, hey, Tom, you're retired now. We want to send you up to the, to a space station to study whether we need sort of views for the future. Would you go live up there for six months or a year in a space station? No. And you know why, Paul? No. You know, when I found out people got <laughs> that was sick, fast. When, when, when I found out people got sick, I have you ever been seasick? Yeah. I, I mean, I went out on a boat when I worked in Jacksonville, Florida, and my co-anchors said, oh, I got a neighbor with a 35-foot boat. We're going to go out to the Gulf Stream and fish. And I thought, well, then, would you like to come? And I thought, well, that's a new experience. (laughs) So we went out there, and I, three hours into it, began throwing up. And I did that for the next 13 hours, and there were sharks swimming around the boat. And you literally are so sick. You think about throwing yourself overboard and, uh, you know, letting the sharks have their way with you. When I found out that space travel involves, now I'm sure they probably can control it now, but um, uneasiness and think that you're trapped in a space capsule, as much as I would love to see our planet from that perspective, it gives me pause when I think about maybe going up there and spending any time. Well, would I, you go up in a Br- like in a Branson, you know, these, these flights that go up there and go outside up there, but then you kind of come right back down? Would you, would uh, you risk going up there to see the, see the Earth? It would be interesting to see, but I worry about what that's doing to our environment. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I just worry about uh, that seems for a, a handful of people to go up there. If you're sending scientists up to study it, that's one thing. But just to go up for 15 minutes and, and look at our planet from that perspective, um, I think I'd want to know more about how that's affecting our environment, you know, getting up there. Uh, do you think that, you know, my, my partner doesn't like, he won't go on a cruise ship and stuff because he basically says that is bad with fossil fuels in the environment. Do you think is- like cruise ships bad for the environment? It, it is. The fuel they burn is particularly dirty. Um, I've gone on cruise ships and yet, you know, by the same token, Paul, you got to weigh that against what you learn through travel. I think we meet different people. We talk to different people. 
um, and you see how other people live in different places in the world, I think that's invaluable. And I think it's a, you know, I think we, we only so it's walk- a cost. Be- it's a cost benefit analysis. It, exactly. And we only walk this planet for a limited number of years. Right. Um, it seems to me educating ourselves about what's going on across the planet and yeah. meeting other people and talking to one another. I've learned a great deal. I, I backpacked through Europe uh, one time when I was in college, and uh, I've been over there since uh, on a couple of trips. But right. it was marvelous. I spent time at bed and breakfast homes, and we talked on a, a Welsh farm or a, an Irish farm. To so the, yeah, the experiences are experience is great. Only a minute left. Yeah, so we all love Demetrius. You don't have to talk about Demetrius, but if you had a chance to give the job to Ned Locke, would you do that, Mister Ned from Bozo, who used to do the weather? No, I. I <laughs> I love Ned. I mean, I Ned Ray Rayner. Uh, I, gosh, didn't you I know Bob, them all? No. We've worked with amazing people in our uh, Joey Dioria, um, and all the people that we've worked with. Major Thomas. No, jo- Demetrius was absolutely the right choice. He's a, an incredibly kind human being, nice, a, an incredible meteorologist. I'm so happy for him. That was the right decision. Really, right. I just wanted to give Ned Locke a chance to make a comeback. <laughs> Well, <laughs> only you, Paul Lisnick, would ask that question, I'll tell you, but it's a great well, question. Tom, I hope we covered a little ground you hadn't covered before. As I said on my TV show, you are the goat of meteorology. I said it here, too. You know the whole world loves you. I hope people will spend some time watching this little interview to get a little bit of different perspective. And I look I look forward to spending even more time with you in your retirement that, than I did yes. when you were all the time. No pressure, and we can just relax. Paul, it's great. I'm not going away. This is my home, uh, and I look forward to continue on our friendship and deepening it and all the rest. And Paul, it's been an honor. Thank you. Bless you, Tom Skilling. See you soon. Okay. See you, Paul.